Well, this very strange week wrapped up essentially minutes before Adam and I started recording, but we're here to talk about all the games, some some confirmed thoughts, some things we were wrong about, and obviously look forward to week 13 while breaking down the AFC North. Welcome to the Goal Line Fade Podcast. Starting off our main takeaways from week 12, I mean, we can't just gloss over the fact that the Detroit Lions not only fired their head coach, but their general manager after their Thanksgiving Day loss. So both Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn are out. Got to be honest, Daniel, I wasn't um, wasn't expecting Matt Patricia to get fired this week, but I also wasn't expecting their general manager to get fired at the same time. It's uh, not a surprise that those guys are gone, I guess, but it was quite early in my mind. Yeah, like I expected um, uh, Matt Patricia to be essentially um, seeing the end of, of his season pretty soon here. This, this team is in rough shape, and um, it's kind of fitting that it was, uh, you know, the Texans, formerly head coached by a Patriots offensive coordinator, beating the Lions to get a former Patriots defensive coordinator fired. But I do have to agree that Bob Quinn firing felt weird, because that one was never really even rumored, at least not that I heard. You see, I saw a lot of Matt Patricia um, kind of being the guy who, who people were expecting to be gone. And then when it came down to it, it was, uh, it was two cuts. And like, I, I, I can't say I know enough about the Detroit Lions draft record in the last few years to be sure of this, but I mean, on a day where TJ Hawkinson has a, a pretty strong game on a, in a, in a game where um, even carry on Johnson played decent, like some of these draft picks that they had made um, weren't playing poorly. Like, and yes, that's a very small sample size, but I, the, the GM firing maybe felt just like a total, we're just going to clean house and start again. But it, yeah, it definitely was a surprise. For sure. Yeah, I mean, you look at this year's class even, and um, Jeff Akuda, uh, DeAndre Swift was a good pick. Jonah Jackson, you hear his name when you're watching their games. You're right, like guys like TJ Hawkinson. Um, actually, they yeah, they drafted Travis Fulgham in 2019, and now he's with the Eagles and has had a couple good games this year. But um you're right there's some names that stand out that would have been picked by this crew but anyways yeah they're they're gone and I have to say the one thing that I wanted to to mention about this and the implication I think is that maybe Matthew Stafford doesn't play for the Lions next year like if you're firing a GM and a head coach typically you want an overhaul of the franchise that's just the way things go so it wouldn't surprise me to see Matthew Stafford dressed in a different uniform next year um but yeah I don't know if that's uh if that's a controversial statement, but I have to say that that's something that must be going through the Lions' minds at this point in time. Yeah, I think that's something worth like actually talking about a little bit. I'm, I'm going to go onto over the cap, and I want to see what it would cost them to cut them. Because I really, I mean, I've been a pretty ardent defender of, uh, of Matt Stafford. I think he's been, he's been dealt just poor hand after poor hand in Detroit and has consistently put up um, good numbers at the very least and is had some some really really big seasons but he can be cut oh yeah no he has no guaranteed money left in his contract so hmm. cutting him at this point um there would still they, they'd be dealing with some dead money but also a pretty sizable chunk of cap savings i imagine that if if he wants to go he definitely could i i don't know if cutting him is the best thing they could do financially but I would, man, like, Kay, 
if Cam leaves and we can sign Matt Stafford to like a 25 mil a year deal, I would take that. I would take that in a heartbeat. Yeah. And I mean, I imagine there'll be a lot of other teams that are in the market for a veteran quarterback just to fill a gap for a couple of years and until they can find a guy, um, you know, in the next couple of drafts to replace him age wise. I think that's the one big thing you have to be careful about is, um, the injuries that he's had over his career, the beatings that he's taken in Detroit and his age. But other than that, I think you're right that there could be quite a market for him and teams like the Patriots might be in the mix for sure. But um, talking is, about that just, quarterback situation, story. just one last thing. Uh, Matt Stafford has been in the league for a long time, but he was also drafted young. Um, he was drafted 09, but he's only 32 years old. Like this is a QB who potentially still has five, six years of good football left in him if the last few years have been any indication of how long a QB can play. So it's not like this is like an old vet just going to end his career somewhere. He actually potentially has a good chunk of good football left in him. Yeah, for sure. That's a good point. Um, It's just, yeah, it's a question of his body, man. He's taken way too many hits over the year uh, or years, I mean, but um, talk moving from that quarterback situation to another quarterback situation. Um, we wouldn't be uh, able to move on to the next week without talking about this past Sunday and the Saints and Broncos game because that was absolutely hilarious as far as I'm concerned. The fact that all four Broncos quarterbacks on their roster were not eligible to play due to um, you know being on the COVID list. And so as a byproduct of that, they had to start a practice squad receiver. First of all, you, you got to feel bad for that guy. And all things considered, he didn't play bad at all. But I just... Yeah, Daniel, I had to call that out as a fun storyline from this past weekend. Yeah, I watched that game just out of morbid curiosity. Um, And and was it absolutely one of the worst football games I have ever watched? Yes. The Broncos offense was useless in in every way. Um, They couldn't get anything going. They were trying Wildcat. They were trying sprint outs with uh, Kendall Hilton, I believe. Um, They were, yeah, they they were doing everything they could, but Wow, was that awful. And quite frankly, the other side wasn't great either. Taysom Hill looked like he took a big step back. Um, Latavius Murray went absolutely off, but but that's a different conversation. Um, the one thing I want to point out, just because I think it's hilarious. So Kendall Hilton, um, as a as a undrafted rookie wide receiver coming off the practice squad in his first NFL start ever, went one of nine for 13 yards, two picks, uh, two carries, seven yards, no fumbles. There actually is a time when a real NFL quarterback had a worse game than him. Do you know about this, Adam? Did you see this this kind of surfacing over the last few days? Oh, I feel like I did, but I can't remember. It's not Brock Osweiler, is it? No. So, so back in 2009, the Patriots beat the Titans 59-0. Uh, Kerry Collins started the game. Vince Young went in and played a little bit. Between the two of them, their combined stats were two of 14 for negative seven yards, two interceptions, and three fumbles. So so this random, undrafted rookie wide receiver actually had a better game than two NFL quarterbacks did at one point, and I think that alone is reason for him to celebrate. (laughs) And to be fair, he received a lot of praise online from the Saints, uh, from the NFL in general, and from 
I mean, everyone in the sports world, I think a lot of people were giving him credit for everything that he must have gone through, as opposed to ripping him apart for his lack of experience and anything that you want to complain about, right? So um, all things considered, I don't think it was that terrible of a day for him. But you know what? It uh, <laughs> There's one player in the NFL who had a pretty terrible day earlier this week. And Daniel, I think you're going to feel uh, a bit of pain from this one as well. But Will Fuller suspended for six weeks due to um, performance enhancing substances or, you know, taking medication that's not on the, the league's prescribed list or something along those lines. Yeah, coming off of his best game of the season, absolutely monstrous performance against Detroit. Um, one of my most consistent fantasy players. And now another guy on the long list of guys who I've lost for extended periods of time. Uh, it, it hurts, man. Will Fuller was someone who I pegged before the season as as a really, really big potential breakout guy. Um, I think if I remember correctly, I yeah, I, I thought he would easily get over a thousand yards and probably was looking at 12 touchdowns um he was on pace for for far better than that he was going to have a really solid season and um, this brings it to an ugly end especially in a contract year for a guy who if he had finished out the season if he had hit those number one wide receiver numbers his his money in the offseason would have been nuts but uh this puts a damper on his value this is just another blow to my fantasy team that, I mean, has been fighting well. I keep thinking I'm dead in the water, and then I manage to string together some wins that I need. But it's uh, it sucks. Like, it really – I was I was really excited about what, what Will Fuller was doing this season. So I'm sad for him, and I, I really wish the league would start. And I don't know. I haven't seen enough of the information. If it was just, like, a prescription drug that – they that is like not whatever i wish that they would amend some of those things so these guys don't get punished for that for sure and i i understand it as a misunderstanding or something that he wasn't aware of so it's not it's not like it was outright performance enhancing you know like when when you see guys that are put on this uh or given the same suspension for peds like it wasn't along those lines there was a little bit of fine print as far as what it actually was so um yeah it's unfortunate unfortunate for deshaun watson I think Deshaun Watson was quoted as saying that um, when Will Fuller was projected to be in conversations to be traded to the Packers around the trade deadline, Deshaun Watson said, I don't know what I would have done if that was the case. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing him, but essentially Deshaun Watson was you know, extremely clear that without Will Fuller, he's not confident he'd be able to play as well. And so, yeah, who knows what that looks like for Deshaun Watson now. I hope that Watson never turns out to be a guy like Matthew Stafford or like these other quarterbacks that we're seeing that um, just never get the support that they deserve for the talent that they have. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it, I think with Bill O'Brien gone, uh, that feels like it, that should be on its way out. I mean, talk about similarities though, right? Uh, Matt Stafford had Calvin Johnson until Calvin Johnson retired. Um, Deshaun Watson had DeAndre Hopkins until that disgusting trade in the off season, both, like, I think at at the time, essentially, both could have been argued as the number one receiver in the league. I don't think there were any questions if Calvin was at that point. So um, definitely some similarities there, having that top weapon, losing them, and then never really having a crew around you again. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, they have they have some guys. They have Brandon Cooks. They have a few other options there as well. But I just I have to say that it's, like, losing a guy like this will have a big impact. But, mm-hmm. um yeah, I mean, there was lots of other exciting things that happened over the course of Week 12 that were specifically on the, the football field. And 
Um, I mean, some of the fun ones were the Raiders absolutely getting destroyed by the Falcons after keeping a really close game with the Chiefs, which has, which has us scratching our heads. The Titans absolutely dominating the Colts by Derrick Henry, you know, picking up the team and putting them on his back. The 49ers staying alive in the playoff race by, by beating the Rams and uh, a couple others as well that were, I don't know, just capped out a, a great week 12 as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it was a it was a really fun week of football. Um, I think yeah, you pegged some of the the big ones. The the Niners beating the Rams was um, kind of shocking and and obviously something that um, I don't really know if I saw coming. Um, the the Bucks actually had a real shot against the Chiefs, um, but yeah, I think the biggest storyline in terms of potential playoff teams was that absolute blowout of the Raiders. No one saw that coming. Julio Jones wasn't even playing like, yeah, that was, that was ugly. For sure. With that, I feel as though it's time that we move into uh, the AFC North and we had to update our stats as we we're going into this breakdown, considering that a, a game in this division just ended what, 20 minutes ago. But uh I guess it's time to talk about our 11 and 0 Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, um, I, I feel like they really have kind of just asserted themselves as the best team in the league, and I realize there are probably a decent amount of people who would disagree with that. But um, having not lost a game yet, playing against, I mean, decent competition, especially their division prior to some injuries and, and some other things is, is one of the stronger ones in the league right now, realistically. Um, you know, they've, they've beaten the Ravens twice. Now they, they beat down on the Browns. They beat the Titans. Uh, they beat the Texans who, yeah, their record's not great, but we all know they're actually a pretty decent football team. Um, the, the Steelers really have established themselves as a, as an absolute shock to me as a real, threat in the playoffs this year. And I think that is um, primarily on, on the backs of two of their units. I think their defense as a whole just has to be given credit. They've been exceptional. Um, they're, they're, I don't know how this game plays in, the game they just finished plays in is average, but um, at 10-0, and 0, they were leading the league in points allowed with only 17.4 a game. Absolutely crazy. Um, second in passing yards against. And then their receivers, too, just deserve credit. This receiving core... Um, has depth like you wouldn't believe and some emerging stars and some current stars and and they're just a joy to watch. I'd have to agree. They're uh, they're a really fun team to watch this year and that's not exactly, um, how should I say this? I predicted them early in the season to actually be one of the top teams in the AFC so I don't want to go against what I thought earlier in the year. But I thought that they would have some really tight competition with the Ravens. I didn't realize just how good they were going to be. And, and I mean, they're undefeated, right? Their record speaks for themselves. They're fourth in points per game. They've scored 29.8 on average going into today's game. Um, ben is playing absolutely fantastic, right? I mean, we've seen him get hurt quite a bit over the last however many years, not at his best. And Anyways, now he's playing at a, a level where he has 25 passing touchdowns and six interceptions after today's game um, and averaging around 250 passing yards per game uh, that was going into today. So honestly, I've been really impressed with this team, just with the diversity of how they're able to score. You know, James Conner is playing really well, running really well on the ground. Benny Snell Jr. has three touchdowns rushing as well. I mean, that's a 
you know, a, a secondary running back who's obviously seeing goal line touches like that, which is impressive as well. And you mentioned it. They have so much depth when it comes to their receiving core. Claypool has been an absolute star who's just emerged, not out of nowhere, but emerged as a rookie and just taken the league by storm. They've got Deontay Johnson, who is someone that you, you hear about every once in a while, but not to the degree um, of how well he's playing this year. Juju Smith-Schuster, who's getting back to the level he was sort of at previous to last year. And then Eric Ebron and James Washington. I, I just, if you go and look at the amount of touchdowns these guys have, all those guys that I just mentioned have over three touchdowns receiving or three touchdowns receiving or over. Um, but I think it would be a huge miss to not talk about their defense, which I honestly think is the strength of their team. They're first in points per game against, and you mentioned that, Daniel, like just how low that actually is. They have three players with over five sacks, TJ Watt, Bud Dupree, and Stephon Tuitt. Um, Minka Fitzpatrick is playing absolutely amazing. I remember when they were talking about that trade last year um, between the Steelers and the Dolphins, and people were actually thinking the Steelers lost that trade. Well, I think <laughs> it's, it's very, very clear how good he is and how good he makes that defense. And when you just look on paper, at this team, I mean, they got guys like Edmonds, Hayward, Williams, Hayden, Spillane, Na- uh, Nelson, Hilton, Bush. Like you're looking at this name or these names, I mean, on paper, and you're just absolutely blown away with with that defense. Um, it seems like they're weaker on the ground, though. If you're looking at a team that has the opportunity to beat the Steelers this year, I'd have to say it would be a team that is able to pound uh, the football by running it, and so. Um, I'm really interested to see if any team has the capability to beat them, but quite honestly, it's not unrealistic to see them going 16 and 0 in my mind. I do just want to <clears throat> say one more thing about this because I, you know, love my Florida players, but Joe Hayden has quietly had a pretty impressive career resurgence in Pittsburgh. Um, he started his career in Cleveland, and, and there was a time when Joe Hayden was widely considered one of the top corners in football. He, had a bit of a drop off. The the Browns ultimately cut him. The Steelers picked him up, and and I mean especially this year he's been really good. Um, yeah, that that defense. I mean, just one of those incredible pieces. Uh, and then just two final comments in the receiving core because I was a receiver and I just can't help myself. Uh, Chase Claypool feels a lot like this year's uh, DK Metcalf. He is very much tempting me as one of my fantasy keepers in our dynasty league because of the development we've seen from Metcalf going into this year. Um, and also like the truth is there are four receivers on, on this Pittsburgh Steelers team who probably would be a number one or number two on almost every other team in the league. And that's absolutely crazy. Yeah, it's true. And yeah, I mean, like it, yeah, I, I don't even know how to process their stats. It's not like one guy's absolutely dominant from a stats perspective but they're all contributing in ways that as a defense, how are you supposed to stop one particular player, right? Because you just, you know that one or two or three other guys are going to step up. And I think that's a key reason why we've been seeing the Steelers winning this year. So then then what about this, quite frankly, shocking um, second place, eight and three Cleveland Browns team? This is, uh, they're actually competitive. And, and there have definitely been games that have, convinced me that that maybe they wouldn't be but um, this team just kind of keeps coming back and, and impressing and I'm sorry at eight and three you're not working with a fluke anymore but I mean do I like the Browns yes but take into account their schedule they've beaten the Bengals the the foot or Washington football team 
the Cowboys, the Colts, which is really impressive win, actually, the Bengals again, the Texans, the Eagles, and the Jaguars. That's all eight of their wins. Only one team in that stack actually impressed me, which is the Colts. So I have to say that the Browns are eight and three, yes, but to me they feel like a bit of a fake eight and three. I don't necessarily know if I put them toe-to-toe with any of the other teams in the AFC and actually think that they have a chance to win. But every time we talk about the Browns, I absolutely love to talk about Nick Chubb. And in order to do justice to the Browns offense, I have to say that Chubb and Hunt are the best backfield in the league. There's no doubt about that. Both have over 700 yards rushing this year. Um, You know, Nick Chubb has seven, or in only seven games, has six touchdowns total. Um, Kareem Hunt in uh, this whole season, I mean, has eight touchdowns total. So as far as I'm concerned, these guys are just playing lights out. And the strength of this team is, I mean, obviously their defense is quite good as well, but the strength of this team really does depend on their running back situation. Baker Mayfield is not going to win this team any games. Baker Mayfield is not going to win this team into the playoffs. It's going to be that backfield. So I have to say, Daniel, I'm not sure if you see it any differently, but I'm extremely impressed with their backfield situation and think that's why they may have a chance to make it to the playoffs this year. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the most impressive unit um, in this <clears throat> on this team, right? There would have been uh, two offenses from last year that we would have expected to likely be the number one rushing offense in football, and that was the 49ers or the Ravens. But um, here we have the, the Browns atop the list. But I, I think it's unfair to say that Baker can't win them some games. He's had um, a not bad season. 61 completion percentage. It's weird when that feels bad, but honestly, in the NFL this year, I feel like you're seeing a lot of guys above 65, um, but like just under 200 yards a game, 17 touchdowns, seven picks. It's not terrible. Um, he obviously lost Odell Beckham, but I know a lot of people kind of said that might actually be good for him. And Jarvis Landry has had a real peak since then. But I think, yeah, the truth is Nick Chubb um, is, is just continuing to be one of the most dominant backs in football. And, uh, and even with a couple of missed games this season, um, his stats look good. If Kareem Hunt wasn't there and he was getting all the carries, this is a back that would probably be competing for the league lead. And uh, he has the potential to carry this team just as far as, as Derrick Henry probably carried the Titans last year. Yeah, potentially. I, I think some interesting things that stand out about this Browns team, though, and maybe why I'm not willing to put them toe-to-toe with the majority of the AFC is that they're 18th in points per game from a, an offensive perspective, right? So they score 24.1 points per game, but they give up 26 points per game. And I think what that speaks to is the beatdowns that they've taken in all three of their losses so far this year, though. So coming at it from a defensive perspective, I mean, Miles Garrett is playing really well. Nine and a half sacks. Overall, the Browns are 10th in the league in sacks. Um, they know how to put pressure on quarterbacks, but otherwise their stats are, are somewhat mediocre. Um, The three games where they played against serious AFC contenders, the Ravens, I mean, they scored seven and I mean, allowed the Ravens to score 30 plus against the Steelers. Same thing. They scored seven, allowed the Steelers to score 30 plus Um, against the Raiders. They scored six uh, and the Raiders only scored 16 in that case. But still, um, in all three of those games, they were not close games, right? Um, Lamar destroyed them through the air, only five incompletions. Um, The Steelers... I mean, destroyed them on the ground. James Conner had over one, uh, yeah, over 100 yards and three rushing touchdowns that day. And then against the Raiders, Josh Jacobs destroyed them. So as far as I'm concerned, um, 
there's some serious issues with this Browns team if they want to be a contender. Nick Chubb is a bright spot and he's one of my favorite players. So I'll continue to talk about him with high praise and, and say that the Browns have a shot because of him. But there's a lot of, um, I don't know how to say, uh, a lot of caution around this team, a lot of caution tape around this team because I just don't think their defense and Baker can support them enough to uh, to contend. Yeah, this last stretch of the season will be so important because they play the Titans, Ravens, and Steelers, and then two games against New York football teams, so no threat there. But um, those three games against uh, two divisional opponents and then you know one of the better teams in the AFC, that's going to be... Um, that's going to be the test for the Browns. If they can come out of this season 12 and 4, 11 and 5, go into the playoffs with a little bit of momentum, who knows? They, they could maybe make some noise, but um, I wouldn't be relying too heavily on that. And then you have what has been essentially one of the most insane storylines of, of 2020, which is this Baltimore Ravens team who were an incredibly real threat for the Super Bowl last year. Um, not really losing a lot of pieces, but then coming out now and after a strong start to the season, uh, sitting on a, on a pretty ugly losing streak, um, obviously just being accented today by that loss to the Steelers and dropping to six and five. Yeah, honestly, it's. I feel like we've had conversations related to teams um, very similar, Daniel, that we had high expectations for them. And just nothing seems to be going right for them. Earlier in the season, the Ravens seemed like they were still going to be that same powerhouse. But since then, we've seen a real drop-off of this team. Uh, losses to the Patriots, both of their losses now to the Steelers, in addition to a couple other of their losses, have just convinced us that maybe this team isn't what we thought they were. Uh, maybe Lamar Jackson isn't who we thought he was. And I mean, I get it. You know, a year after you succeed that much, defenses are going to catch on and, and things like that. But um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm really not all that impressed. I mean, I think they're one of the worst passing offenses in the league. And when you look at their rushing stats, um, I mean, none of their running backs are having that great of seasons. When you take into consideration, Lamar Jackson is their leading rusher with 575 yards, JK Dobbins under 400 yards, Gus Edwards under 400 yards and Mark Ingram under 250 yards. So as far as I'm concerned, where their strength was last year and being able to run the ball effectively, they don't seem to be capturing on that same strength this year. And I think that that's um, a big reason why, especially their offense, hasn't been successful. From a receiver perspective, I mean, none of their receivers are having all that great of seasons, right? You look at the stats of the, the Steelers that we just talked about, and three Steelers receivers have better numbers than the first place Ravens receiver, which is actually a tight end. So. As far as I'm concerned, their offense is um, actually one of the reasons why they're not all that successful this year, and their defense is the primary reason why they are. Yeah, and, and the, the truth continues in the NFL that a, that a really good defense can only take you so far, like the whatever, the defense wins championships thing. I think that was disproven a long time ago. Um, you, you need both. You, you need something from both units, and their offense really is just not – giving them that something. And and this game this week, yeah, it wasn't fair. They, they lost Lamar Jackson. They lost J.K. Dobbins. They lost Mark Ingram all to these positive COVID tests. Um, so the, the fact that they even kept it close with the Steelers, which they very clearly did, um, that is impressive. And that's on their defense. But ultimately, uh, when, when Robert Griffin and Trace McSorley are trying to lead you to a win, that's just, that's not going to happen. So I don't know. I, 
I kind of think the Ravens are done. I don't really see them recovering from, from the skid that they've been on. Yeah, they might beat the Cowboys this week, but then they'll, I think they'll probably lose to the Browns. And then I guess they could win out, finish the season, what, 10 and six? I guess that could be a playoff record, but um, that's a lot of ifs. They're, they're really going to need to get in shape these last few weeks if they want to make the playoffs. And um, I mean, they have some real competition. Them and the Raiders have the same record. Miami definitely looks like a playoff team. Uh, Indianapolis or Tennessee, whoever doesn't win that division is going to make the playoffs. Obviously, Cleveland. The Patriots have had some some wins over the last few weeks. Um, quite frankly, if Denver had had a quarterback this week and managed to pull out a win against the Saints, they would be in this conversation too as a wildcard team. The, the Ravens are not guaranteed a playoff spot, and that is absolutely nuts. Yeah, exactly. If, if you were to tell me this last year going into the playoffs, I think – I mean, no one would have believed you, right? Not just myself, but no one would have believed you that they'd be in this spot. But I think that we do need to talk about their defense from a, a perspective or, or from a positive perspective because, um, yeah, they're actually doing quite well. Only 19 and a half points per game, points per game against. Um, they've got a strong passing defense and a weaker running defense, but still both are, are present in both their forces. We saw how good their, their passing defense was today, despite all the injuries, despite all the COVID cases, right? They, they actually restricted the numbers quite a bit. If you were watched, every catch by the Steelers were absolutely contested catches. And so I think that that's quite a clear picture of just how good of a passing defense they have. Um, they have 27 sacks on the year. And I mean, decent amount of pressures from a variety of guys, which you always like to see. Um, one last thing I want to say about their defense is that Patrick Queen, who's their first round pick from this past year, um, he's actually been a bright spot. He's been one of the, I think he's their number one tackler going into today. So as far as I'm concerned, I think this defense will be, um, will be a bright spot for the remainder of the season and potentially can be where they, they foster not a rebuild, but where they foster some strength going into next year. But um, I'll just say one more time, I'm I'm not confident in their offense. And I think that the, their offense is why they won't make it to the playoffs. So then finally, uh, we talked quite a bit about the Bengals last week. So I don't think we need to spend too much time here. But um, obviously a team that is very much in the running for, for one of the top picks going into the draft this year. Um, had a real bright spot with their rookie quarterback, who obviously is done for the season now. Um, definitely a, a team with some talent. Uh, Tyler Boyd has has been a consistently good receiver for the last few seasons. T. Higgins has had a really really strong rookie year. Just another one um, in this in this year's class and last year's class of just really really good looking receivers. Mixon's missed quite a few games, which has been um, really disappointing for a team that that it seemed like was ready to lean on him. And um, yeah, do you know what? An, an offense with some bright spots for sure, but but still a bad football team that's going to need to use that top pick well to start putting together. Um, the, this roster for the future, especially in this division. Yeah, exactly. And I think that um, we talked about it last week, like you said, Daniel, but offensive line is where this team needs to go. If they use all seven picks over all seven rounds to draft offensive linemen, I still don't think it'll be enough for this team. Um, they're just that bad up front. But you're right. They have all the playmakers in place that if they can give Joe Burrow the time when he's back next season or whoever's under center to start week one next year, um, I think that they'll be a better team just by getting that uh, that unit of their offense intact. 
From a defensive perspective, I have to say, though, um, they have lots of weaknesses there, too. So the reality of it is uh, they don't have the luxury of just fixing the offensive line and all their problems will go away. They've, they only have 13 sacks this year when you consider that's over the course of at this point, most likely 11 games, right? Um, considering all teams in the league and how many games they played, 13 sacks just sounds like it's ridiculous. They've only forced 11 turnovers all year. Um, they have 22 passing touchdowns against, and they have nine rush touchdowns against. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Don't know how to spin their season too positively other than you're right Tyler Boyd is obviously the bright spot of this team and um, his numbers are just fantastic 72 receptions 700, 725 yards and three touchdowns um, other than this team's receiving core they don't have too much to to brag about this year unfortunately yeah that's a division that I think um, they will be a, a potentially very very competitive one over the next few seasons I I do think that the Ravens, even if it's not this season, probably have the pieces in place to to really put things back together and be a good football team with a full off season and a normal year of football next season. But um, yeah, they're going to be exciting to watch in the future just as a division. They've always been really competitive and have had a lot of fun games. So it'll just, yeah, I'm excited to see where, where they go in the future. One of their games this week too, I, I kind of touched on already, but one of the games going into week 13 has to be this Browns Titans game. This is two eight and three football teams, both really wanting to cement their place um, in the playoffs and higher playoff spots. And uh, they, they get to face off on, I mean, unfortunately timed uh, an early afternoon game, but um, I mean, just the rushing offenses across from each other, this game might only take a couple of hours to play, but it's going to be fun to watch the whole time. For sure. And I mean, you just, you just said Nick Chubb is very similar to Derrick Henry and that they can both put their teams on their back. And so I think it really will be that matchup, right? Can Nick Chubb carry the Browns versus can Derrick Henry carry the Titans? I think between those two, Derrick Henry would be the favorite, but um, the I don't know if I want to call it the X factor, but I think something to watch in this game is actually the Browns passing offense. The Titans pass defense is not great. Quite frankly, they're, I don't think that, I think they're one of the worst in the league, if I remember correctly. So as far as I'm concerned, yeah, it's going to come down to can Baker Mayfield and this Browns receiving core, uh, including the running backs, can they, you know, bite into the Titans that way? Can they keep the ball away from Derrick Henry by, I mean, marching the ball up the field, but especially through the passing game, I'm really curious to see what happens that way. Um, overall, I think that the Titans offense is far more reliable. And I think that they've proven that they can actually beat other strong teams in the AFC, whereas the Browns haven't. So as much as I want to side side with the Browns this week, I think I have to lead to uh, lean towards the Titans. Yeah, I'm, I'm betting with you on that one. Uh, the current line for the game is, is Titans by six. That feels about right. I think they're a better team. Quite frankly, the, the Browns, I, like I said, they're eight and three. That's not a fluke, but, um, the only thing they do particularly well is run the football. Um, and so, like everything else, they're just kind of mediocre. They, if you were just to show me their team stats, I would never guess that they're an 8-3 and three football team. So um, stealing a win this week would be huge for them. It, I think, would guarantee them a playoff spot, whether mathematically it does it or not. Um, it, no, it definitely wouldn't do it mathematically. But, yeah, I, I think they're definitely a team that, 
Um, would, would love to steal a win here, but I think this has got to be a Titans game. The Titans might start to run away with that division now. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that they, they definitely have the potential to if Derrick Henry can really hit his stride the way he did last week. Not that that is necessarily sustainable for the remainder of the season, but um, we know he's a workhorse and he can carry that team for sure. And then we have a really fun uh, divisional game in, in what is the most competitive division, division in football. Two teams coming off of losses they really couldn't afford with the Rams and the Cardinals. Um, Kyler Murray, minus that Patriots game over the last few weeks, was was really starting to make a case for himself as an MVP candidate. Um, and, and obviously Jared Goff hasn't had a bad season himself. This is two teams um, really at a point of, of fighting hard. The division is not out of reach for either of them if things fall the right way. And I think realistically, this this is probably going to be my favorite game of the week, the one that I kind of want to watch the most, but that's mostly because I have a thing for both of these teams. But um, yeah, this is a, a huge divisional game. There's a lot of implications in this. There are, and I think um, both these teams, I mean, they have a lot to prove still, right? Like they're both in the playoff race, yes, but I think we've seen a lot of reasons over the, the course of the last month to doubt these teams right the cardinals have lost two straight against the seahawks and against the patriots one team that you sort of understand the loss the other that you're kind of scratching your head and the rams i mean they go out and they play the buccaneers and pull off a great win and then they come back the next week and lose to a an underwhelming 49ers team so it just i think that they both have a lot to prove i think that many people consider the seahawks the favorite in this division so i think both these teams are are quite hungry for a victory and I think we'll be the benefit, uh, the beneficiaries of that. As fans, I think that we'll have a lot of fun watching these two duke it out. Yeah, I do really want to say that, um, you know, if, if Kyler Murray can finish out this season on a bit of a strong push, uh, I, he's got to be a real MVP candidate, which I called or I, I predicted before the season. And um, his rough start kind of led me to abandon that. But he really has kind of come on in some of these weeks as of late as passing our totals. I've really never been too impressive, but but his season on the ground has been um, absolutely incredible. There, It's funny, actually, in the last few minutes, we have now talked about all four of the top four rushing offenses in football, uh, Baltimore, <laughs> Cleveland, Tennessee, and now the Cards. Seems like rushing offenses are really being successful in the league right now. Um, the Rams' defense, though, is quietly incredible um no lower than fourth in any major defensive stat and that's that's really really darn impressive but um this cards offense is is second in total yards they are they're they're not bad they they really are better than a six and five football team their their record really does not feel like it really portrays how good this team is so i'm i'm really excited about this game and i'm cheering for the cards man i'm I'm, I know my Patriots are not a Super Bowl team this year. I want the cards to just go on a run and take it. <laughs> well, I mean, we saw the 49ers knock off the Rams last week. And that's another game that I want to talk about this week. And I mean, if the Cardinals are going to make it all the way, they're going to have a tough game against the 49ers as well. So it's the Bills problem this week, though. Are the Bills at the 49ers? Uh, or is that a game that you're excited about this week as well? Um, I think I'm excited about it because um, the the Bills have not fallen apart, but have definitely not been on a on a super strong 
stretch. Um, if I'm you know, maybe I'm totally wrong. Let me go take a look. Yeah, like okay, no, I guess they've they've been up and down the last few weeks, um, really being in close games with teams that should not have been close with them. And I don't know, this 49ers team feels angry but not good. You know, uh, just we we all know the story. Injuries have absolutely dismantled them. Their defense has still managed to be. Um, a, a really strong unit, but their offense has has really um, been been quite bad. Uh, weirdly enough, it almost feels like Nate Mullins or Nick Mullins, sorry, um, is a better choice at quarterback for them, which I am a little sad to say, though he's a little bit interception happy. But yeah, I I think I don't know th- this game. This game has a lot of implications only if the Bills lose. <laughs> a Bills win doesn't mean a ton, but if the 49ers can can pull off an upset here, that's uh, that, that actually leads to some pretty big things. The Dolphins could win the AFC East. Yeah, it's a good point. It's, I mean, if the Bills win, it's nothing to you know be too excited about, but if the 49ers win, this really does shake up the AFC and gives the 49ers a shot in the, uh, the NFC West there, so I think it's uh, maybe not as exciting as the Rams and Cardinals game, but I think it's going to be still a fun one to watch because both teams are quite competitive. And if, I mean, proven that every game that they play is going to be a good one to watch. So then quickly, Adam, as we wrap this episode up, um, we definitely have to do some of our fantasy starts, fantasy sits of the week. Let's, uh, or sorry, not fantasy sits. That's our, our struggle of the week that we do in the end. But um who are the, the, the players you're thinking of starting this weekend? You know what? I'm going to go with two running backs. I have to say David Montgomery against the, the Lions this week and Raheem Mostert against the Bills this week are two matchups that I'm really excited for. In Montgomery's case, the Detroit Lions have given up the most uh, touchdowns on the ground. And I think that the Bears will most likely get back into the win column. So they will control possession. They will um, you know, be running up the clock towards the end of the game. And so I think David Montgomery will be the beneficiary. He had a pretty good game against the Packers actually, which is quite surprising, but um, I think that he's worth a start. As far as Raheem Mostert goes, I think that um, he also has a chance to succeed on the ground just because of the fact that the Bills have given up a lot of rushing touchdowns this year. They're also not the greatest on the ground in terms of yards per game. So I think that Raheem Mostert could get back to his stride. And you're right, the 49ers really do need a win this week. So I think that he could be a, a main catalyst in getting that done. Yeah, and then my, uh, I'm going for something real weird this week. I think with that suspension to Will Fuller, as we talked about earlier, there's going to be this, this opening up of targets in this Houston offense. Um, Deshaun Watson's really going to need to find players that he can throw to. So I'm actually taking two uh two Houston players. I think Kiki QT is one who needs some attention last season. He had some good games. He was being talked about as maybe just a good, like kind of Jack of all trades, offensive weapon guy. I think he might be a touch hog in that offense. All of a sudden screen passes, rush attempts. Um, and yeah, Indy's defense is good, but um, the Houston offense is good too. Deshaun Watson is really good. So he's one and Jordan Aikens, their tight end as well. His target share is almost certainly going to go up. The sets they use are going to change with, their current situation at receiver. And quite frankly, the tight end position in fantasy is terrible. So anybody who you are sure is going to see the field and get some targets is, is definitely worth looking at. Yeah, it's a good point. And I mean, yeah, Deshaun Watson needs targets bad. So 
Um, if you're really desperate for, for some receivers or tight ends, I mean, now's the time to go strike. That's for sure. Who would you say, though, Daniel, is your, your player of the week prediction then? Is it another player from Houston, or are you uh, moving away from, uh, from Houston for that purpose? No, I'm, uh, I'm jumping on the Kyler wagon now. I think against the Rams, um, he's, now is the time. He's really got to throw this team on his back. He's got to make his MVP case. He's got to push him towards a playoff position. So I'm taking Kyler against this really good Rams defense. I think he's going to exploit them. I think he's going to play well. Um, and, and I think this is going to be kind of one of those um, one of those games he wants to put on his MVP resume at the end of the season. Fair enough. That'd be a, a pretty big statement victory for sure. You know what? I'm going to go with, I don't know if I like this pick, but I'm going to go with Jarvis Landry against the Titans. I think that um, after last week, Jarvis Landry had, what, eight receptions, 143 yards, and I believe one touchdown. So, I think that coming off a game like that and seeing how bad the Titans' defense is uh, through the air, as we mentioned earlier, I think that he really does have a chance to to shine this week. I think he is going to be someone like you describe um, those Texans receivers. I think that he will have high-frequency um, targets, and I think that he has a chance to uh, make quite an impact in that game. So I'm going to go with him, and most likely I'll be wrong, but hey, why not take a, a flyer this week? And what about your struggle of the week? As as you kind of look at the the slate of games, are you thinking there's anyone who's um, probably looking at a at a pretty bad time this weekend? You know what? I, speaking of taking a flyer, um, I'm doing this just because no matter how much research you do or how much you try to uh, assess what's actually going to happen, the reality is you just never know, and things are super screwy in the NFL this year. So you know what? I'm actually going to say that the struggle of the week is going to be the Saints defense. Is there any reason in the world to think that that would be the case? No, but Atlanta absolutely dummied the Raiders when no one would have predicted that they could, that they would have done that. So um, I have to say that, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, the Saints defense as the struggle of this week. But um, I don't know if you're going to be as uh, as random with your pick this week, Daniel. If random is the right word, I think I'm going to just be weirdly specific as, as I look at units <laughs> around the league and, and we were um, we were talking about that Steelers receiving core and that's kind of where I'm leaning in. I think this Washington uh, football team defense, though I believe they are the number one passing defense in the league, which is kind of nuts. Uh, I think this is the week they struggle. There's so much depth in Pittsburgh. This is a team that whether, you know, they'll never say it, but but they're looking at 16-0 and 0 now and they're seeing that as a real possibility. Um they're needing to go out and they're needing to make statements each and every week to, to continue this bid in an undefeated season. And I think um, even though I believe Washington, are they currently leading their division? No, they're second in their division. Um, I think that that pass defense is going to fall apart this week against the Steelers' depth. And I think that, that uh, yeah, they're going to definitely um, make their statement on the way to really reaching for that undefeated season. I could definitely see that happening. I mean, that Washington team, especially their passing defense, is, is quite good. So it would be a pretty big statement if the, the Steelers could go in there and beat them. and Or not just beat them, I mean, but uh, specifically beat that unit of the, the football team's defense. So um, not something that I, I think is too difficult for the Steelers this year, and it would not surprise me to see them go 12-0 and in style like that, Daniel. Oh, I just... But before we, before we end today, I just like 
was was looking at um, receiving stats, and I just and I, I feel like I've said this a few weeks in a row now, maybe, but my excitement around the young receivers in the NFL right now is just like off the charts, man. Like DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, Justin Jefferson are all in the top ten uh, for for receiving yards. DJ Moore is up in the top ten as well. Um, then you have guys, I mean, Calvin Ridley's a few years older, but, but he's been developing so well. Tyler Boyd is another big one. And that, that's just guys in the top 20 for receiving yards. You start going further down that list. And there is just like, I, I can't believe how many, A, how many good receivers there are in the league right now. And B, how the Patriots have missed on so many and are sitting with as bad a receiving core as they are in, in the league's current climate. But it's just like the, the offensive skill positions besides tight end, like wide receiver running back, we are we are just getting treated with good players right now. Yeah, it, it's so true. Um, and it seems like they're popping up all the time, right? It's not like we're seeing the same crop of guys, but I think it's there's quite a few guys who are, who are working to prove that they belong in that company as well. And so I think that that's what's so exciting about it is one week you think you've got the list figured out and you know who the, the strong points are, you know who those guys are. And then the very next week, you get even more players to add to that list that you have to start thinking about in terms of where they belong in this conversation. So there's, yeah, there's so much talent out there. Um, Just blows me away. Guys like C.D. Lamb, guys like, I mean, Jerry Judy, who's not in a great offense this year, but you can just tell that he's special too with the way that he plays. And I mean, Henry Ruggs, if he catches more than three balls a game, right? I think that there is a lot of (laughs) talent here. And once those guys have the opportunity to make plays, um, yeah, there's, it's just consistently that we're seeing guys being added to this conversation, which is not something as a fan that uh, I think we appreciate enough. Anyways. Yeah. Just, just a small thing I've been thinking about lately and um, just a little bit of, of commentary as we wrapped up. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's been a good season and it's, it's a season that has me definitely looking forward to the future of the league when um, COVID is over and things get a little bit more back to normal. So the, the, the playoff push is on, I think there's a lot of teams starting to think Super Bowl. Um, we're at a point where, yeah, by, by next week, we will be through bye weeks. Um, or I guess officially now. Or, or when, yeah, week 12 is the last set of byes. So now it's um, it's the sprint. There, there's no more weeks off. Teams are, are uh, oh no, they're, sorry. Yeah, week 13, there are no more byes after week 13. There we go. Um, so yeah, the, the sprint is almost on. Super Bowl is coming and, As always, we'll be here again next week to to break that all down for you.